This is The New Digital Customer, a podcast that brings you insightful and inspiring conversations with customer-focused leaders who are transforming and innovating customer experience. And now your hosts, the CEO of Brightloom, Adam Brotman, and Chief Product Officer, Ben Straley. Hey, everybody, this is Ben. And this is Adam. Hey, we are really excited to have Matt Oppenheimer joining us here today. Matt is the co-founder and CEO of Remitly, a digital global money transfer service. How are you doing, Matt? Hey, great, Ben. Great, Adam. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's so great to have you, Matt. I know you're busy and uh, we really appreciate you uh, spending the time with us here. Um, how about you? How about we kick things off by you telling us a little bit more about uh, yourself and Remitly? Yeah, sure. Happy to. So um, I'll start with myself. Uh fifth generation Idahoan, grew up in Boise, Idaho, but have been fortunate enough to uh, travel a lot, uh, lived, lived and worked on three continents and traveled to close to 100 countries. And uh, when I was living in Nairobi, Kenya, uh, uh, working for Barclays Bank um, uh, is where the idea most poignantly for Remitly came from. And the quick snapshot on Remitly is uh, our vision is really to transform the lives of immigrants and their families by providing the most trusted financial services on the planet. Um, and the scale and size of what we've created is uh, getting pretty exciting. Uh, we have raised close to $400 million. We have over a thousand team members worldwide. Uh, we are, our core business is a remittance business that uh, uh, customers can send money between 1,400 corridors across the globe. Uh, and we just launched Passbook, which is a bank account specifically designed for immigrants. So those are the, that's, that's a very quick high-level overview. That's great. Matt, um, first of all, before we dive a little bit more into your business, I do want to embarrass you for a second and say congratulations on being named uh, top Futuretown Business Journal, top 100 power players, um, or, or whatever they say. But I, I, that is a real honor, and uh, I want to be the first to wish you uh, uh, congratulations on that. Yeah, that's great. Um, Thank you. So, yeah, so, so I'm humbled. Yeah, no, that's really that's a big deal. Um, so we uh, let's go back and talk a little about Remitly for a second. You know, I know Remitly is a mission driven company. You mentioned that you got inspired for the idea for the company um, in Nairobi. Is that what you said? Is that, is that right? And and so, can you talk a little bit about like the mission of the company and you know whether it's linked to the inspiration for the company or something that's evolved since then? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a really good question, Adam, because I think it's it's both linked to the inspiration and it's evolved. Um, the inspiration came from seeing how far remittances went in people's lives, um, and I saw that in, in, you know throughout a lot of my my travels um, and work, but most poignantly in Kenya. And a lot of my Kenyan friends were getting money from their relatives in Europe or the U.S. primarily, and they'd have like their sister's Bank of America debit card. And the costs, the you know compliance issues. Now that I run a money transmission company, the insecurity—it it just made no sense. And and seeing how the, uh, mobile phones were transforming domestic financial services in Kenya with a product called Mpesa, which is one of the most well-known mobile wallets globally. Yeah, uh, it felt like the right time to disrupt and change the kind of you know money transmitters like Western Union that have been around for 160 years. Um, so I saw how far it went in the receiver's life, but it has evolved in the sense that over the last nine years of building this business, I'd say I had had a cursory understanding of the immigrant journey and immigrant experience. And I still have a fraction of the understanding, obviously, of what it's like to actually be an immigrant. But by listening and getting to know a lot of our customers 
and learning about the sacrifices they make. I mean, these are, these are individuals who move thousands of miles away from their families in order to build a better life for themselves and their families back home. And when I say families, oftentimes it's people moving away from their kids, their parents, their siblings. Um, and they're unbelie- our customers are unbelievably inspiring. And we can talk about the impact that COVID's had in our business, but it's only amplified the mission that we do and the importance of the service we provide. Yeah, I, um, uh, it is such an inspiring uh, mission and uh, looking forward to getting into to some of the stories that you, you mentioned, Matt. Um, one of the things that's pretty, pretty clear and evident um, uh, in terms of the business and the customers you're serving and the, the problem that you're solving for those customers is I'd imagine trust is a big barrier or hurdle that um, uh, customers need to get over in order to start using your, your service. And I'm curious, sort of, how do you think about engendering that trust with your customers, um, both from a product perspective, in terms of education, marketing? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Ben. I think, you know, it's interesting for a lot of the marketers and other folks listening to this call, trust is paramount for any service that's provided to yeah. any customer, right? If, 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 if uh, the customer doesn't trust the business to provide that, like you can't continue the conversation. But in some industries, financial services being one of those. Uh, And then within financial services, remittances, the trust hurdle to even have a conversation around the broader service being provided is so high. Well, especially, -hmm. sorry to jump in, but especially in early days, I would imagine that was the paramount single issue that you had had to clear with customers. Yep. Yeah, it's exactly right. And it makes sense if you put yourself in the shoes of our customers who, you know, might make $30,000 plus or minus a year have to provide a lot of sensitive information about themselves for compliance reasons. Um, uh, given that we're a regulated money transmitter, we need to do what's called KYC or know your customer. And then, you know, our customers are trusting us with their two or $300 of their hard earned money to be delivered thousands of miles away, oftentimes to be picked up in cash. And um, it's no surprise that because of that, like 60%, 60 plus percent of remittances are sent via physical cash locations because customers trust that corner store in their community. They trust that individual. It's very rational at some level. So trust has been, that's why it's in our vision. It's key. I think that we've, we've been able to build trust um, first and foremost by delivering uh, on promises we make to customers by, by building peace of mind, which is what we focus on very much in, in our actual service. And I used to think that delivering money from A to B instantly halfway across the world naively was a relatively easy thing to do. It's very complex, as you can imagine, with the risk systems, with the disbursement partners we work with, etc. So first and foremost, you got to build a great product because if you don't do that, like doesn't matter what you market. And um, my definition of brand is a promise when delivered creates preference. And so we got to deliver on that promise we make to customers. And then I think we've, we've innovated in the marketing space, um, offering promotions um, pretty, uh, uh, I think, um, in a focused and targeted uh, way. Um, so that in addition to advertising on channels that you can imagine both digital and offline channels, you know, we invest in that relationship with the customer because they know if they if they can get over that initial trust hurdle, they try us. Customers have the recurring need to send money back home. And so we've tried to build out the systems and the marketing platform as well to be able to um, offer promotions to the various, you know, customers that we serve. So it, it's there's no easy answer, but it's all rooted in, do we have a great product that delivers on promises to customers? And then if we do, how do we scale that? Um, and then as you scale the marketing, you obviously get the word of mouth and other effects of, of customers loving our product and telling their friends. Well, that's, that's interesting. Let, let's actually take a, 
step back in time for a second to understand better about how you did build that trust. I'm going to, one of my favorite podcasts is how I built this, uh, by Guy Raz and, uh, I'm going to do my best Guy Raz impression right now. So, so Matt, you're, you get this inspiration. Let's go back. I mean, you get this inspiration in Nairobi. You, um, you know, you have a sense of you, where the disruption can occur. I mean, how do you start this thing? I mean, how, how, like, how, and how do you build that, you know, that you had to get one customer to actually trust you, like the first customer and then that, yeah. and then the second and the third and the, like walk, walk us through, like, how did that happen? Did you build an app, a website? Like who was your first customer? Oh, we could go in so many directions with this, but, but <laughs> um, let me start with, with how we kind of got a money transmission and any company has challenges to get it off the ground. And I think the principles that I go back to are focus persistence. Um, and, uh, I think that if you look at how we did it, we send money, as I mentioned, between 1400 corridors. Um, meaning we send money, we customers can send money from 17 countries to about 80. We started with one corridor for the first, like four, three, four years of the business, the nine years we've been around, just focused on that one quarter. And what, what is, you have to get a money print, the U S the Philippines. And because you have to get a license in money transmission on a state-by-state basis in the U.S., we started with Washington State <laughs> to the Philippines. And our first customer – and so first off, before I talk about our first customer, um, that's, it's I think just that's super important. Really, really quickly, I can imagine the, you know, your, your description of the total addressable market size and then getting all the way down yep. to the Washington <laughs> to Philippines corridor. It gets very small very quickly. Yeah, exactly. And I think part of the challenge we, we we had when we raised our Series A or B or whatever rounds those were, we're proving we could do it across different geographies. Um, and frankly, we probably grew slower those early days because we didn't get the kind of organic growth of going really broad. But in a complex industry like money transmission, I think it's the right long-term way to set the company up for success because we didn't cut any corners. We built the right risk systems, the right um, disbursement partners. We understood our customers better, I think. And so on that point, I, um, I joined the Filipino Chamber of Commerce, the Pacific Northwest. I moved from Nairobi to Boise and then Boise to Seattle. We had a Techstar Seattle in 2011. And the initial oh, purpose nice. was not to get a bunch of customers. It was to learn about customers. And so I tried to really like, get to know our customers at a pretty deep level. And our first customer I can talk about because there's a blog post that, that is written about him and he gave us the permission to do so. Uh, is a customer named Earl Gola, who continues to be a very good friend of mine. His dad used to be president of the Filipino Chamber of Commerce, the Pacific Northwest, uh, Bert, who's another amazing, amazing individual. And, um, you know, we tried to, to get to know the Filipino community so they could give us feedback on our product. And it turns out our product early days was really bad. And I'm glad we didn't go and market it a bunch. We, we made some important pivots. We adjusted the product. And then when we were ready to actually, you know, scale up and market on a national scale and then add other corridors, I think it was, again, from a stronger base. And the other thing is, if we would have gone too broad too early, companies die because they run out of money and they run out of, you know, where, it's not just money, it's resources. It could be time, it could be money, et cetera. But that's why companies fail. And I think focus at least gives you a better shot of having a little more runway and then you can, ex- you can extend if you hit that one, that one route um, effectively. And I think that's what we did with the Philippines. And, and you, and so, so, okay. So I'm, I'm picturing myself. It's, um, your tech stars, you said, I think that's great to hear, by the way, it's a, it's a good tech star success story. So you, you, your tech stars, 2011 class, you know, one of the cohorts of 2011, you, you're getting yourself involved with the Filipino chamber of commerce in the Seattle area. And you, so you start to meet people 
and they start to trust you before you even have a product. And then you do you have your first product and it's a, is it a website? Is it a, describe like the first person who, you know, either electronically or through cash gave your company money and then you got that money to somebody in the Philippines. Like how did it work? Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a website. Um, we've increasingly shifted mobile nine years later, obviously. Um, Cause that's the way most customers send money, whether that's mobile web or the app. Um, and, uh, you know, Earl sent money to our first disbursement partner, which was a mobile wallet called Gcash in the Philippines. And um, that's where I say some of the pivots took place. Turns out, even though people use a lot of mobile wallet, use M-Pesa, the primary mobile wallet, as I mentioned in Kenya, which is why I thought people would, may want to send money to Gcash. People that use Gcash in the Philippines, people need cash and people need bank deposit and other disbursement options. So we pivoted to have a wider range of disbursement options to increase the addressable market. And what I've learned, again, now serving close to 80 countries is that uh, it really depends on the country, the disbursement method. Yeah. But one of the things we've done well is expand that and listen to customers on what they need in whatever country they're sending money to. Gotcha. And and where I'm going with this, I'm trying to kind of get in my own head and for the listeners like, okay, I got that. That's interesting. And now you've, 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 you go fast forward on the movie and now you're in, you know, all these different, you know, ju jurisdictions and countries in terms of who can send money, all these different ways they can connect their mm -hmm. money to your system and all these different ways, all these different places that can receive it on the other end. And it is primarily, like you said, mobile web, mobile app, um, native mobile app where they're connecting, um, you know, whatever they're connecting there. It's a digital, it's, they never have to leave their house essentially in order for them to sort of say, okay, I'm today I'm going to remit $200 back to someone in my family somewhere else. They can just go onto your app or go into your mobile website. They, they connect their, their own information to it. They say where they want to send it, et cetera. And they go. And so it's a, it's a digital experience. Um, uh, how did, so, so that's happening. And what percentage of your business or of your, I don't know, engagement transactions, whatever you describe it, your, the, the flow through in your system, what percentage is, um, is digital on the remittance side, not the acceptance side? Is it all digital on the remittance side or is there a combination of digital and physical? Like you could potentially walk into some place and do it too. Can I help yeah. us understand? Yeah, yeah. Good question, Adam. I should explain that earlier. Yeah, the the customers send money by linking their bank account or debit card um, to uh, to to remitly on the send side, and then on the receive side, it's two hundred thousand cash pickup locations, fifteen hundred banks around the globe, millions of mobile wallets, door to door delivery. Really depends on the country, but sending it's all digital. Got it. And 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 how? So did what did when COVID hit? Because a lot of people, you know, you're basically you were before COVID, you were in a pretty much all digital business. Um, and uh, did you notice, did COVID change your business at all? Or did it, was it just like, no, COVID didn't matter because uh, we were digital anyways. And so it didn't have any difference. Like, can, help us understand like what, I'm, I'm sure COVID had an impact, but I just help us understand how, what impact it had. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, every business, right. Has been impacted by COVID in some way. Um in our business, there has been that, you know, stat I mentioned earlier of 60 plus percent of, of folks sending remittances via physical cash location. That was gradually, you look back five years and it was, you know, even more sent via cash. Um, that COVID basically pulled forward a lot of the shift to digital. 
And you can imagine that customers either didn't, you know, want to go to a physical cash location during COVID or that cash location was closed or it was no longer on their way to their, their job. And so um, I think people jumped over that trust hurdle and, and, and it was already at this precipice where it's just really grown tremendously. So we, if you look at our new customer growth as an example from May 2019 to May 2020, our new customer growth tripled. Um, and, you know, it, 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 more importantly, underneath all of that, customers just really needed to get money home um, right now because it's the difference between emergency medical expenses and not having it. It's uh, obviously a global recession, a global pandemic, and remittances have never been more important. So our base has also been sending money very reliably back home as well. Interesting. And I'm just curious about sort of the, the human side of, of the business. Um, and I've heard you talk a little bit about what the, the the purpose of these these transfers or these remittances is typically going from, say, the U.S. to the Philippines or another market. Can you share some some anecdotes or stories about just how how this service is impacting, you know, people in people's lives? Yeah, yeah. I think that um, you know, at the end of every team meeting and every um, leadership meeting that we have, we always circle it back to the customer stories. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I won't share the details of those today just because without our customers permission, obviously we don't share it publicly, but you know, there are stories of customers, you know, 70% of transactions are sent um, uh, for basic living expenses when we survey mm-hmm. our customers. Right. And um, I think that the stories that I've heard are, customers that, like I said, are sending money back for emergency medical expenses to support their families. Um, customers who, um, especially as we approach the holidays, um, usually travel home over the holidays to see their family and can't go see them. And so the money is even more important as a way to connect um, and, and, and assemble for why they're away from their family in the first place. Um, there's so many heartwarming examples, but I think that, listen, I mean, we're, we're the business that's providing the service. Our customers are the ones that are like the unbelievable heroes and they've always been that way, but right now it's next level. And, and it's next level as well from the standpoint of, you know, a lot of our customers have been impacted by the recession. They have fought to find other jobs. Um, and they've done that because I think part of the immigrant you know journey is defined by that perseverance, the grit, the determination, um, and they, our customers continue to show that, but that doesn't mean they're going through tough times, which is what makes our, our work right now even more meaningful. Yeah. We, one of the really fun things about this podcast is we talk to a lot of, you know, customer obsessed leaders and, and companies that are doing really interesting things for, for their customers. And, um, one of the things that emerges from these conversations is these sort of key insights into what more can the brand do for, the customer, what's an unmet need. And I know you all, I know Remitly launched a new product in February. I think it's called Passbook. Um, mm-hmm. Can you can you talk a little bit about the, the genesis for Passbook and sort of what you're learning now that it, uh, it's up and running? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, as I mentioned, our vision is, is financial services to improve the lives of our customers and their families by providing the most trusted financial services, not just remittances. So, you know, with that vision, and with the, with the foundation of trust that we have with our customers, once you build that trust, we've had a lot of customers that have come to us and said, remittances are the biggest pain. But like, hey, it's also you know a pain to get this specific type of, of, of lending product. It's a pain to get a bank account. When I get a bank account, it's not designed specifically for, me, for, for our customers as immigrants. And so um, 
we went through a you know process of listening to our customers and the pain point that we heard that was the most palpable was um, getting a bank account and having a bank account that meets our customers' needs was just not there. And so, you know, everything from getting an account set up, our banking systems are not designed for immigrants and documentation that they have. Um, and so everything from getting an account set up to having integrated remittances to making it incredibly easy to travel as a customer. Um, there's a lot of specific benefits and features that Passbook offers to our customers, to immigrants more broadly. Um, while the pass, while the remittance business is only, like I said, you link a bank account or debit card. We also partnered with Green Dot for customers to be able to go to tens of thousands of cash of cash in locations like 7-Eleven for folks that are completely excluded from the banking system to be able to deposit physical cash into their Passbook account. So we're super excited about both the mission component of that and the customer value that we think it can add to both. Uh, remitly customers and to um, immigrants out there that just don't have access to a bank account. So before we switch gears and talk about your thoughts and some other trends that are happening in other companies and what they're doing, one or two more questions on remitly. One question I have for you is when you, Matt, when you think about your customers, um, you know, you've got, uh, and I mean like you, not just your team, but like you, when you, when you kind of picture your customer base in your mind, how do you think about your customers? Like, do you think of it in terms of segments of like, we've got active and, and inactive and we've super active. And, you know, I, I know you probably spend efforts on customer acquisition through getting the word out that, you know, what your capability set is through paid digital media. But then once you've got a customer on board and they've created an account, I guess you'd call it on your, on your system. Um, tell us a little bit about just the mentality you have towards your accounts. Like, do you, how do you organize them in your mind? How do you, do you do CRM of some sort, you know, with your customers? Uh, you know, what are the important metrics for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think the, 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 the first thing is our customers are very diverse, which is, which is um, awesome. And also part of our focused approach has enabled us to really understand that, you know, um, while there are some needs for remittances that extend across various geographies and cultures, there are specific needs um, and specific ways to communicate with a Filipino customer versus an Indian American customer versus a, um, you know, Nigerian living in, in the UK, et cetera. And so, I think that's been one of the beautiful and amazing parts of this business is the diversity of our customer base and um, getting to know their their individual needs is one way of how we think about it. So that's one. And I think that goes back to the founding of the company, not just going really broad, but really understanding each culture and country that we serve. Mm-hmm. And that's a continual journey, uh, by the way, but one that it, that we're that we're committed to um, that's both right. externally with our customers, as well as internally. When I look at our diversity, equity and inclusiveness efforts, um, given that it's so foundational to our business. Um, that's the yeah. main answer to your question. I mean, we, yeah. we have built, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. I don't mean to interrupt you. I just think that's really interesting. Cause I mean, it's almost like, you know, there's businesses out there that think about there all these different metrics, all these different characteristics, and maybe even like psychographics or personae. And for you, you're saying for you guys, it, your answer spoke volumes that you, you just were like, look, our cut, we have a, in our business, our customers break out naturally into segments and those segments are cultural on some levels, what you're saying is that there, I mean, there may be other things that define them and other metrics that are important, but you're saying that building the trust, getting to know your customers, being authentic to your mission means you're going to think about your customers as human beings and sort of the natural cohorts that they 
fall into by because of their culture, because of their uh, uh, their origins. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Okay. Well, okay, let's shift gears here. Now, we like to talk on the show as we start to get towards the end of the podcast episodes with our guests about, um, and we do this for everybody, so we're not just picking on you, Matt. You know, we want to know what what are some of the brands that have impressed you as a customer? I mean, in general, but we love to we love to sort of drill in on, you know, during the pandemic in particular, when we're all sort of hyper-tuned into our digital relationships with our with our favorite brands or new brands, because that's kind of the only way we can have uh, primary relationships these days, like who's impressed you? Who stood out to you? We'd love, we'd love to know. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a really good question. You know, I think that there's several companies that come to mind. Um, I have to say I'm pretty blown away with, with, with zoom as a company. Um, I don't want to mention some of their, competitors well i will i mean you look at companies like blue jeans versus zoom i think zoom is built for the first time like a a video conferencing that system it's not perfect but like i spent a lot of my time on zoom and my list of complaints are pretty small i i think that there are features and things that they could continue to improve that they're investing in but it's pretty amazing how you know for the, the last 20 years i've been complaining about video conference systems and I think Zoom's really crushed it in terms of just building a very simple, easy to use, seamless video conferencing system. And I think they rose to the challenge like other companies in the space perhaps didn't. Um, and it's it's added a lot of value, I think, people's lives while we've, all, while we've all been remote. That's a great example. Yeah, I I agree. In fact, I think I read today they have a $150 billion market cap, which is just like <laughs> unbelievable. And, you know, and, but to your point, that's it is amazing how Zoom... <laughs> you know, we don't talk enough about, I'm sure in the financial world, they talk about it all day, but like, but you know, just as, cause we're all like, it's like, you know, that, that, um, that famous example of, uh, what is water? I think is what it was from, you know, the fish that's just swimming in the water. Doesn't yep. like, it's like zoom is like our water. Like it's, I mean, and I know team, <laughs> you know, there's teams and WebEx. There's a lot of other good examples. Yep. I'm not, I'm to your point. I'm not, it's not the only one, but I, it was weird. It was like, we were you everyone or a lot of people were using zoom or teams or whatever and but let's just pick on zoom for a second and then the pandemic hit and we all just were like okay like i mean <laughs> yeah. not that it wasn't a big deal about how we were going to work together but it wasn't a question of how we were going to do video conferencing right like it, that if that had ha if the pandemic had happened 10 years earlier in the technology development phase um I actually, I mean, think, I don't know, we haven't really talked about that, Ben, on, on the show or whatever, but like, like that, the combination of like, what if the pandemic had, had hopped zoologically or whatever into our, into the world 10 years earlier, and we didn't have the likes of AWS at, at, at its maturity level and Zoom and some other things like, um, what would have happened, you know? <laughs> I mean, I, it's not a rhetorical question. I'm curious to know what you guys think, like what would have happened? Yeah, I think that um, it's a great question. I, I think it's hard to imagine, right? I think that um, it would have been a lot different. It would have would have been a whole heck of a lot different. And I, I also think that um, the as as a, as a company that like when you're sending a remittance, there's the front end user experience, and then there's all of the things you need to do on the back end to keep a secure platform, to keep a reliable platform, to deliver funds halfway across the globe within minutes. And that's where a lot of the magic or you know pain can happen for customers. With Zoom, when you take a step back and think about their growth. And yeah, they've had some, you know, security things they needed to fix. They've had some reliability issues that they have um, needed to fix. But um, 
the fact that like they grew as fast as they did. And I think that also, to be fair, is to your point, 10 years later, you can build off of platforms like AWS, right. and scale up infrastructure much faster. Right. So it's a whole ecosystem that's enabled Zoom to be successful. You got to give some credit to Zoom as the one independent like yeah. startup compared to the Cisco's or the Microsoft's, which I give them a lot of credit too, because not everybody in the big company space has been successful with, with video conferencing, but Zoom's done a heck of an impressive job. Yeah, no, that's... I, it's a good example. I'm glad you brought it up. And, you know, you've actually just given, given me inspiration for a whole other podcast uh, subject, which is like, because, you know, you could go, I mean, I'm sure Matt in your business, it's the same way. Like, again, uh, the, from a, from a, from a digital relationship business perspective, had we had this pandemic occurred 10 years earlier, um, you know, I think the amount of uh, economic wreckage would have been, I mean, there's, and, and, you know, there's a lot of, the most important thing is all the human toll, but the, the, but, you know, just, if you just for a second, talk about the economic perspective, um, I, I don't think we'd be in the same situation at all. Um, I mean, I mean, I say, I'm kind of seeing the obvious, but zoom, your point about zoom brings it up. And then you, you get into like companies like yours that are probably, you know, we're not even aware of all the cloud-based systems that we all stand on the shoulders of that help us do, things we wouldn't have been able to do. And you can imagine in the restaurant industry, um, you know, you know, this would have been a pre Uber eats, pre DoorDash, um, frankly, you know, pre Starbucks mobile order and pay and all of the sort of other services and other things that allowed for that. So it's, it's, um, I'm really glad you brought that up. So, um, well, listen, this has been so great having you on the show, Matt, this has been terrific. Um, uh, and, um, you know, I'll tell you that, uh, uh, you know, we're thrilled to have you, especially as a, as a big power 100 <laughs> member. Um, and, uh, you know, look, uh, that's it for our show for today and stay tuned for next week. when we're joined by another customer focused leader like Matt. So until then, take care. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Ben. Thanks so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information on what Adam and Ben are building with their teams, visit brightloom.com and follow them on Twitter at Adam Brotman and at B Straley.